God, and we were looking together at Exodus chapter 33, Moses said, please show me your glory. Oh yes, children, you may be excused. Something tells me you're leaving whether we excuse you or not, but you are excused. (laughs) Moses uh, came before the Lord and said, show me your glory, and the glory that God determined to show Moses was his goodness. I will make all of my goodness pass before you. It's God's self-revelation to us uh, so that you and I would not be horrified and terrified and traumatized in the presence of God. His greatness is perfectly balanced out by his goodness. And this week we are going to be looking at the goodness of God in creation. That is, we see the greatness of God in creation. I mean, how can you miss it? But we also see the goodness of God in creation And beyond that, God calls us to enjoy one more measure of his goodness, which is that you and I can be amazed at the goodness of God. Now, separate all of creation from the fall and go back to the very beginning when it was all good before uh, we decided to mess it all up with our sin and with our rebellion against God. The original creation was certainly great, and it was also very, very good. And it was good because it reflects the one who created it, the living God. Now, all of this will lead in future times to looking at the goodness of God in redemption. But today, we want to take just a minute to consider the goodness of God in creation. It's always a joy to open the scriptures together with people who love the Lord and who love the scriptures. And as I was preparing uh, for this, I realize that creation is a huge topic of conversation in our world. And so there are some things that I just would mention before we get started. And I think the first is for those of us who love the Lord, just a measure of humility. Because if you study the subject, the theology of creation, you're going to find that there are a lot of different views out there of how God went about bringing all of it about. Now, there's the young earth view, there's the old earth view, there's theistic evolution, there's literary framework as a view, and a new one that says, it claims to not be new, which is historic creationism, which is a little different from all of the rest. And there are several others. And uh, the truth is, we really don't know. A few years ago, R.C. Sproul was asked to uh, comment on creation. And when he got all finished, he said, well, the truth, the bottom line is that we really just don't know. And so afterwards, someone came to see him, and they were a little bit indignant that he would say such a thing, and they asked him, why is it that you said, you know, we just don't know? He said, well, I said that I don't know because I don't know. And the truth is that there's a lot of things about eternity past and eternity future that we just really don't know. And so humility uh, might be something that would serve us well. The second thing is The real issue when we talk about human origins, uh, there are several things that it's not. I don't believe really that specifically the problem is with science. I think we've made science become a problem as believers, that it's become way too political. Um, As you consider science, real science, pure science, not speculative science, but real science, there's nothing there that disproves anything in the Bible. And so um, there's some unwarranted assumptions, I'm sure, but that's not really the issue. And the issue is not with theology either. 
We can view different things. We can consider different things. Um, but we're really not certain what happened way back when. We just know that it happened and that God is in the beginning of it all. And I don't think that the problem is a lack of information. My goodness, has any generation in the history of the world had so much information as we have? And yet when you contrast that with, with the infinity, which is the universe, or it's not infinite, but it's close. I mean, what portion of knowledge do we actually have? I mean, maybe a trillionth of the knowledge. I mean, we're just still babies when it comes to understanding what's going on in the universe. And so I don't think it's any of those things, science or theology or even information. The problem, and this is borne out in the scriptures, is human. It is the nature of the human being, and it always have, has been. And we're probably not even a trillionth as smart as we think we are as human beings. There's a lot that we have to learn specifically about God. I think we'll discover that we'll never comprehend God, that at the end of the eternal ages, we're still going to stand back and wonder at this great God and not be able to comprehend him. The real problem is that we don't have the slightest appreciation for the infinitude or the transcendence or the immensity of the living God. And that's what he calls us to, to be amazed at his greatness and amazed at his goodness. So regarding our study today, there are three things that we absolutely do know, and they are theological premises that we dare not veer, veer, veer away from, and they are these. Three things we know, and these are really the the three passages, the three chunks that we're going to focus on as we wander all over the place and look at the goodness of God in seven, uh, seven different areas. The first thing that we know for certain is in verse 1a, we know that in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1 and 2 is really all about God. It's not specifically about creation. It is about the God of creation. And so in the beginning, God, and then we read, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, it really is all about God. The second thing we know for certain is that in the beginning, God created, God created, and we can be absolutely dogmatic about the fact that God created. We cannot be dogmatic about how God did it or when God did it. We just know that God did it. Maybe it took God six gazillion years to create the universe. I don't know. And maybe it took six literal days. I don't know. But even if it only took six milliseconds, the bottom line is God created it. That we know for certain. And then a third thing we know is in verse 31, where God looks over all of creation. He makes one judgment about it. And he says this, it was very good. Of course, that's before we ruined it, but God said it, it is very good. And so we are uh, those who ought to be brought low when we think about what God did in Genesis 1 and 2. It's uh, really much about much more than creation specifically. It's about our incredible need to repent and to be brought before the living God. Repentance in and of itself is pretty good, and it is a good gift that God has given to us. So... With that said, let's look together at seven evidences of God's goodness in creation. And the first one is in verse 1 and in verse 31. Goodness is the exuberance of creation. And I use that word specifically 
because I know Pastor Dan would like to hear these really exciting words that we come up with. Exuberance, the exuberance of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was very good. The Bible begins with this very provocative statement, a bold statement, and the statement is very simple. In the beginning, God, the eternal, self-existent God, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word there is called a merism. It just means that God created everything. And so you have the heavens, which I understand to be the spiritual realm, that he created heaven with angels and, and all of the principalities, all that. And secondly, the earth, which I understand personally to be the universe and all that's contained. And then everything in between, God created all of it. In the very first verse of the Bible, God is proclaiming clearly his existence, that he is the self-existent one in the beginning. God, eternal, infinite, omnipotent, sovereign, the source of all of life, John chapter 1, in him, God the Son was life, and that life was the light of men. He's declaring his greatness, speaking of his creative initiative in the beginning, God created And uh, verse 1 is pretty reasonable. God is saying, I created it, and it's pretty great what I created. Romans chapter 1, the invisible attributes of God, what are they? His eternal power and divine nature. These are great things. They're good too, but they're also great things. These have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And the third thing that God is proclaiming is his goodness. That is the redemptive initiative of God. The second reaction, the first one is to say it's great. The second one is to say it's good. It's really good. God said it's really good. It is very good. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all of his works. And so verse 1 and verse 31 are making a statement. God has displayed his greatness. He has displayed his goodness but we need to actually see it. A few years ago, Julie and I headed down to Dover, Delaware to watch the fireworks on the 4th of July. It was a tradition for us to do that. And every year when we would go down there, the different things would take place. They would pick a different theme every year. And for example, one, one year the theme was was patriotic, and another year it was unity, that we all need to be one, and then the year that I'm thinking about, it was the the roaring 80s, or whatever you call it, the the 1980s, and how that was the greatest decade ever in the history of the world. Well, my cynical little self said, okay, (laughs) the 80s, whatever, all right. Uh, They also made sure every year that we all understood who the participants were, uh, people who made the most contributions, they were put in the newspaper, and the company that orchestrated the display, they they had some props too, and my cynical self said, well, (laughs) okay, maybe it was helpful information, But what I really cared about was the experience, right? None of this other business really makes any difference. I just care about the exuberance that comes when I sit there and I watch the fireworks. There is exuberance that is to be observed. What I did realize was that the people who created the fireworks 
And the, not just made them physically, but the people who assembled them and the people who set them off and the people who created that moment that caused my heart to thrill and to rejoice were making a very bold statement about themselves. They are telling us, number one, that, that, the, that their aspirations were really big, and they were really big, part of the creative mind, that their aspirations were really loud, that there was no mistaking that they were making a statement, and they were really spectacular. That was part of the motivation to wow the people who saw the fireworks. Fireworks creators, they have something to say. Well, God has something to say. And when he made creation, he spoke in the loudest possible terms, in the most magnificent possible terms, to declare as if it was all fireworks, and much more than that, I am a God who is great. I am a God who is good. And so the first evidence is exuberance. Everything in creation shouts the glory of God. Romans chapter 1. Second evidence. The goodness of God brought about everything out of nothing. Everything out of nothing. The earth was form without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. Verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Now back in verse 1, if you take that first sentence, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The verb create always is used in the Old Testament uh, with God as the subject of it. No one else creates in this way. Only God creates in this way. Secondly, the phrase in the beginning establishes a divide. It, it establishes the fact that there was a time uh, before which nothing existed other than God. It establishes the fact that, that anything that existed had to exist after the beginning. That God started, God existed from eternity past, but there was a beginning. And that beginning was a time, meaning that there was no heaven at one point. No heavens, no angels, just God all alone in eternity. And yet all, not all alone because he was totally satisfied within himself, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, it means that there was no universe. It means there was no earth. Earth In the beginning, only God existed, and we know that he was eternally satisfied in himself. The subject of the verb, God, identifies the one being and the only being who can create in this way. Now, you and I can get a piece of mud, and we can fashion it into a, a sculpture, but someone had to come up with the mud, and of course, the only one who can bring that about is the living God. All of this means that God brought everything out of nothing. The term theologically is called ex nihilo, which means you and I can never do what God did. Only God can do it. He created everything out of nothing. Now, the verse could have stopped right there in the beginning, God, and it would have been a great story would have been a wonderful story because God really needs nothing outside of himself. Therefore, life within the Godhead was good. And since God was always and ever will always be eternally satisfied in himself, you could get to the end of that first phrase and say, you know what, in the beginning, God, that's a great story. And we would be right about that. It would be a great story. But the story is not over. And the story is not over because God is good. Think about this. 
How admirable is it that the living God communicated being and existence to a housefly? You say, well, it wasn't very good as far as I'm concerned, to which I would say, well, I think it was pretty good for the housefly to have existence and to have being. And so we're just saying that, that what's more gooder than nothing at all? Something is better than nothing at all. And, and, and that being is better than non-being. The fact that God would impart and communicate existence and being into the universe, that's a wonderful thing. And it is a good thing. Stephen Charnock says that the creation was the first act of goodness outside of God himself. That up until that time, in the beginning, everything that took place that really was good, all took place within the Godhead. But in the beginning, something even better came out. God created all of things, and it was good. Number two, goodness brought everything out of nothing. Being is good, especially when you're the one who gets to have the being. Good thing. Number three, the third evidence is God's goodness in creation is shown in his extravagance, which is reflective of God himself. And we read about it all through this, the bulk of Genesis chapter 1, verse 12. The earth brought forth vegetation. God said, let the waters uh, swarm with creatures. Uh, let the um, birds of the sky fly and fill the skies, verse 24. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Now, if you look at the universe honestly, one of the conclusions that you have to come up with is that this is one extravagant place. This is a place that is almost wasteful. I mean, the fact that there are flowers that grow up in the snow-covered hills where nobody ever sees them. Only God could be good in his extravagance like that. If you look at the earth, you've got vegetation, you've got creatures, you've got swarms of fish and birds, lavish, abundant. Psalm 104, the psalmist exalts, how manifold are your works, O Lord, in wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. They're everywhere, everywhere to see. Even the Discovery Channel can't discount this incredible abundance and and extravagance of nature. And then if you look, for example, out at the galaxies, they're wild, they're expansive, they're they're mind-boggling for us, totally extravagant. The point with verses 11 through 25 is how good is God to lavish the earth with life? He didn't have to do it but he's infinitely good. And the lavishness of God is evidence of his creation. We're just saying the goodness of God is displayed everywhere in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And it was all very, very good. Well, the fourth uh, evidence of goodness, of God's goodness, flows out of the original goodness of creating all the things because he comes up to the pinnacle of creation. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So think about this. In spite of all the objections to it, think about this. That God did create human beings with something that no other creature on this planet has. 
He has given us something that, that no other thing that was giving, given being or existence can boast of. And it is simply this. He's given us the ability to marvel over and to exalt in and to be astonished at the greatness and the goodness of God. Nothing else has that privilege. Just you and I. He created us in his image. He created us in, well, three parts. Or if you're a dichotomous, two parts. It's probably number two. But we don't know for sure. We'll argue about that one day. But we do know this. God created us with a physical body. Psalm 139, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Aren't you glad that at Thanksgiving time you're not a termite? I mean, think about it. We had turkey, we had dressing, we had cranberry sauce, we had all these good things. The termites, they're down in the wet, dirty basement eating wood. Hmm. I think it's a good thing that you and I are different from termites. We were given a soul for holiness and for dignity before God so that we could respond to the appeal of a good and great God who says to us, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. He doesn't do that for termites or for platypuses, or for any of the other creatures in the universe. And God also created us with, or, or maybe the soul and the spirit are together, another reason for us to argue, with a spirit, number three, which is given to us so that we could have fellowship with God, so that Adam and Eve could walk in the coolness of the evening with the living God, and so that you and I can live in fellowship with Jesus Christ. I'm just saying that verse 26 should jump out at us and astonish us because of God's incredible goodness. So God created man in his own image. There is nothing in all of creation like a human being. We get to walk with God. We get to fellowship with God. We get to delight in God. And we get to enjoy him forever. Goodness. God is good. What compelled God to create a human being with such great goodness? Just one thing. God is good. Howard Hendricks was a longtime seminary professor at the, the Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, he was very popular as a conference speaker and very fun. He wasn't ever crude in any way at all, but he was pithy and earthy. And, and uh, he's the kind of guy who would much rather wear a pair of jeans than to wear a suit. And this is that type of guy. And he talked with that gruff South Philadelphia accent. It just was one of those really cool guys you loved listening to. And many years ago, Julie and I um, went to a, a dinner where he was speaking uh, in South Philadelphia. And he was speaking on, I don't know what, but at some point in the conversation and in the, in the speech, he talked about the incredible nature of a human being and how wonderful a thing it was that God would create a human being. And so as he was talking about that, he said, he asked this question as he was describing Adam's reaction after he had been put asleep by the living God, after God had formed a woman out of the man, and after he wakes up from that deep sleep, he said, what do you suppose Adam said when he first saw this woman, Eve? And then he stands back from the pulpit. And loudly he yelled, Adam said one word. Wow! <laughs> now we're not talking only physically. We're in church. Let's keep it holy. There is something magnificent. A woman is a gorgeous creature before the living God. 
We're talking about the fact that she's much more than that. We, sp- we think about the ways of a woman, the passions of a woman, the delights of a woman, the, the enthusiasms of a woman that no man has. We're lost, guys, when it's com- in comparison to a woman. We'll admit it. It's the truth. I can tell you I've been married for a gazillion years to a woman that uh, I still stop and say, what kind of creature am I actually married to? A marvel, a wonder, a reflection of the goodness of God. I'm just saying that there's nothing in all creation like a human being. Yesterday, I went out to Weaver's Hardware to uh, pick up eight, count them, eight, quarter by 20, two-inch long lag bolts, because I was fixing something. Eight lag bolts and some lock washers. And so I came home, and when I came home, I had a bag with eight quarter by 20, two-inch lag bolts and some lock washers. That's it. Well, Julie had gone out too, and she went out to the farmer's market. She needed to pick up some cauliflower. I'm like, okay, so four hours later, she came back home, and um, I'm watching as she opens the car, and we start unloading the car. There are poinsettias in that car. There are wreaths in that car, and there are five bags of vegetables, I think. I'm not sure. And so we unloaded the car, and I'm like, you know, Weaver's Hardware, the farmer's market, what's going on? It doesn't look like survival of the fittest to me. It looks like something totally different than that. She stops and she says, by the way, would you mind going out to the farmer's market and picking up some cauliflower? (laughs) I'm just saying that they don't talk about that in the science textbooks. But there is something amazing about someone who's been created in the image of God, number four. Well, the fifth evidence of God's goodness in uh, creation is the goodness that placed man in the paradise of Eden. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden to the west, to the east rather, and there he put the man whom he had formed. A few years ago, the prime timers uh, went up to uh, Ashland, Pennsylvania, to go to the Pioneer Coal Mine. I don't know if you've gone there. It's a pretty cool place. That cool is a good word to describe it. It's cool year-round in there. That's a nice place. I wouldn't want to live there. I'd like to live in Eden if I had the option. Live in Eden. One of my favorite sermons, and I'm saving it for a rainy day when pastor calls me at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning and says, I'm sick, can you help me? I've got this one for us, which is simply this. The title is this, we were created for paradise, but we're not there. We are not there. And we understand why we're not there. Something takes place in Genesis 3 that ruins the whole thing and sets human beings on a, on a collision course for sin and death and hell rather than for a life in Eden in fellowship with the living God. Of course, that's the gospel, and that, that's for maybe another time. But, but don't blame God for that brokenness. That, that's really on us. We're the ones who brought that about. But in the beginning, God had something really, really good for Adam and Eve and all of the people who would be his descendants. God planted a garden in Eden. Read the description in Genesis chapter 2. It's no wonder God would say it's very good. It was very good. So let me just ask the question, what made God prepare such a lavish, wonderful place 
for his people to dwell in. It's simply one word, God's goodness. God is good. That's the glory of the gospel. It's always been the glory of the gospel because God hasn't stopped being good. He didn't stop being good after Adam and Eve fell into sin and he's not stopped now. He continues to be good and in that we rejoice. Well, the sixth reason, the sixth reason, the sixth evidence for the goodness of God in creation is that God, in, in God's goodness, he gave an easy obligation to human beings, which is simply this, it is belief. It's all God has ever asked of human beings is simply trust, trust me, and act on that faith, act on that uh, trust. Verse 16, chapter 2, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Every tree in the garden, that's good, except just one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, something really bad will happen. All of this good is going to change the day you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that is, of course, death. You will surely die. Eternal death as opposed to eternal life. What did God require of Adam and Eve? Just one thing. Trust in my goodness. Trust in the fact that, that what I'm asking of you is, is there to preserve you, to protect you, and to give you the highest possible pleasure for eternity, which is, of course, the pleasure of enjoying the greatness and goodness of God forever. God had no obligation uh, to uh, give eternal life to anybody or to anything, but he did to those who believe, and the reason is his goodness. That's still the case today. Well, Stephen Charnock, as I've already mentioned, wrote a book, and it's called The Existence and Attributes of God. It's a huge thing. It's two volumes, at least. And I've been trying for years and years to plow through there, and I've been pretty unsuccessful. But Charnock says this about the goodness of God. He says, the pursuit of the goodness of God puts all of the rest of the discussions about God upon a delightful exercise or gives it this, this trajectory that should give us joy as we do it. He says this, it transforms the way that we think about God. His goodness makes his wisdom design good things for us. His goodness makes his power act in good ways towards us. <clears throat> and his goodness cloaks or veils his holiness from affrightening us, I like that word, affrightening us, this good spirit gives mercy to relieve us. He says, think about this when you think of God. All of his acts toward man are but the workmanship of this great single attribute, God's goodness. We know about God's greatness when we look at creation. We cannot fail to see God's goodness. Well, Evidence of God's goodness, right? Exuberance in creation, that is, it's a spectacular thing. Uh, everything's brought out of nothing. God gave being and existence when he had no obligation to do it. The extravagance reflective of God that there's abundance everywhere. That God elevates you and I, human beings, so that we can delight in and fellowship with God forever. Number five, it places the man and the woman in Eden, Tahiti, Without the bugs, it's a good deal. And then number six, he gives him this easy obligation, which is belief, trust in my goodness. There's a seventh and final one. The seventh evidence of the goodness of creation is that goodness gave creation an elegant dignity. 
and elegant dignity. Verse 25 of chapter 2, which is a shocking verse. And it should shock us as we think about it. It says this, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Now there's nothing crass or perverted about that statement. Nothing profane. It's just this magnificent summary of the goodness and the greatness of God as it is the privilege of Adam and Eve to enjoy. It speaks of of this perfect oneness, openness, trustedness, selflessness, everything that's good, Adam and Eve enjoyed in the fullest possible way. They were totally vulnerable to each other and it was all okay. Everything about it was okay. And you and I say, you know what? Man comes home from work. He's glad to come home, all right, in the Garden of Eden. The woman uh, stands at the door, and she's glad to have the man come home in the Garden of Eden. Everything's good. Uh, Mama happy, no one happy. That didn't even exist before uh, Genesis chapter 3. This verse is more about more than marital bliss, much more than that. It is about the true pattern of God's excellence in his goodness, that God has lavished goodness on us. So Adam and Eve were perfectly satisfied and and free and content and at ease with each other. That's a marvel all in and of itself. That's a wonderful thing that God provided to Adam and Eve, but it's much more than that because there's someone else who is there living in the paradise of God. And that's God himself. So Adam and Eve are not only comfortable with each other, they are naked and they're comfortable in the sight of the living God who is present with them. That is good. (laughs) It is a good thing that you and I can be totally exposed, totally vulnerable, and know that we're totally at ease in the presence of God. That's that's an astonishing verse, Uh, verse uh, 25. Naked, not ashamed. Not ashamed in the presence of each other. Not ashamed in the presence of God. Of course, all of that was lost. All of that was lost in the fall. But God did give all of it, like this crowning achievement, like fireworks that, that end with the grand finale. The grand finale is that we could live together as human beings. We could live in the presence of the living God And everything was good. That's the goodness of God in creation. He didn't mess up on anything at all. Behold, he said, it is very good. Well, why does it matter? Two reasons, two responses. Number one, repentance is a good response for some and rejoicing for others. Let me say this with humility and with respect. If you've decided to contend with God over the first sentence in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If if you're going to stand back and contend with God, you need to understand that God is also going to contend with you. It's not a one-way street. And so so what, what would be good is not more information, not more scientific knowledge, not better theology. What would be good would just be repentance, another wonderful gift of the living God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read this, even if our gospel is veiled, 
It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You might think you're contending with God. No, he's contending with you. It goes both ways. It's interesting that, that, that the response to all of that would simply, see, would, would simply be, let, let the goodness of God so soften your heart that you would trust him and that you would obey him. That's what Paul finishes with in 2 Corinthians 4. Pray that the God uh, who said, let light shine out of darkness will shine in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ to you. So repentance would be a good thing. Encourage you that way. And now a word of those who have, uh, of us who have chosen to put our faith and trust and confidence in the living God. And it's just this, rejoice. Rejoice over all of it. And just be encouraged, all right? Don't think that it's a small thing for you and I to stand with God on this in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. It is not a small thing. It's a great thing. And don't think that it's a small thing for you and I to stand with God, not arrogantly, humbly, to stand with God when men revile and say all manner of evil against us falsely on for the sake of Christ. It's not a small thing. And don't think that it's a small thing that, that we stand with God. Though we have not seen him, we love him. And though we don't see him still, we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's not a small thing. That's a great thing. It's no small thing to stand boldly and humbly, believing this, that in the beginning, God exists Self-existent, needs no one, but he created. Why? Because of his great goodness and that it was very, very good. Well, my mom is in glory today. She missed her first Thanksgiving in 91 years. And uh, of course, Julie's mom is up celebrating with her in glory. And Mikey's beloved Stephanie, Miss Stephanie, she's not here with us either. But all three of them have a perspective of awe and wonder about the creation, the goodness and the greatness of God that you and I can't even imagine. We can't even fathom. It's an incredible thing. But I remember that uh, my mom used to tell me that there was a day when, when I was filled with this sense of wonder over the things that God had created. Not just that they were great, but that they were really good too. They were both of those two things. And way back when I was a cute little kid, not all right, I know some of you doubt that it was ever possible that I was a cute little kid, but it is possible for you to believe that I was a little kid, so maybe that'll give some credibility to the story. I'm not sure. But she tells me that uh, I came running into the house one day and uh, said, Mom, come out here quick. And so we went out on the front sidewalk, and, and there was the object of my great wonder, and it was a caterpillar. That's all. It was a little caterpillar. Remember when you were amazed at caterpillars? He could probably get some of that back. That would be helpful. But anyway, what, what made it for her so much fun isn't, isn't even that. It's what I said. I said, hey, mom, look, a petty killer, a petty killer, right? And uh, so it wasn't much. It was just a caterpillar. That was all. I mean, who knows? Maybe it was going to grow up to be a monarch butterfly one day. We don't know for sure. But that was it, just, just a petty killer, which was really cool 
in the eyes of a cute little kid way, 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 way back. What made it so amazingly good? Well, two things, really. Not just one, two. Number one is it was amazingly good because someone, the living God, decided that it was a good thing to give to that petty killer existence and being. Someone decided that was good. God looked at it and said, that's very good, but it's bigger than that. There's something more profound, and it is also, it's this, that it's also amazingly good that someone decided, the living God, that it was a good thing not only to create something and give it life, but also to bring joy and wonder to the heart of a cute little boy. And that's exactly what God expects of us when we consider creation. Not just to look at it, not just to say this is great, not just to say this is good, but to step back and allow us to give us an additional joy, which is to wonder and marvel at it all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God saw everything that he had created, and behold, it was very good. Father in heaven, we do praise you. You're great. We do praise you. You're good. But your goodness extends beyond all the things that you've created. Your goodness extends even to the point where you would give us the joy and wonder of being able to marvel at it all. Something that will go on for all of eternity as we consider not only what you've created, but also this good, great God who created it. Bless us, we pray, as we give ourselves to marvel and wonder, for we ask in Jesus' name.